Well, good morning. Grateful to see you. If you are new to LifePoint, my name is Ed Travers, a teaching pastor here at LifePoint in Westerville. Grateful to have you with us. Uh, if you'll do me one favor, if you're new or newish to LifePoint, take out your phone, turn on your camera, and put it on the QR code on a chair in front of you, and then I'll take you to a landing page called lpguest.com. That is our online connect card. So all the information you want to know about our church, you can find there. Uh, there's upcoming events. The uh, Kind of a cool feature is the sermon notes. If you click that button, you can follow along as I'm speaking, and you'll have like the little outline. You can take your own notes. It's interactive, and you can send that to yourself via email if you want a record of what you feel like you're learning today. And then there's the, the button. This is one I really can highly recommend you hit. It's the guest information button. If you hit that button, fill out a little bit of information, take you about a minute, Scroll down, and there are five different ministries we support from all of our campuses. So if you check one of those boxes, we'll do an extra $5 donation to that ministry to say thanks uh, just for checking in with us. But put in there how you heard about LifePoint. That's of great interest to us. So uh, that's something that you can do. Uh, for all of the people who've been around LifePoint, and maybe you've been here for a long time, uh, you know that last year we did our Wide Open World missions offering, and we were able to collect, as a church, over $200,000. And that allowed us, as a church, to send out uh, 84 different short-term missionaries around the globe, eight different countries, five continents, and over 400 people gave their life to Christ as a part of the missions last year. So this year, last week, uh, we concluded our missions uh, series and took up the offering, and our hope was to, we wanted to try to double it, send out over 150 people this year, which means that we had to come up with uh, about $325,000. And so we were praying, we knew it was a big leap, and I just got word this morning that uh, all of our campuses collected $339,000. Isn't that something? Westerville, it looks like, gave almost twice as much as they gave last year. So, man, it's just, it's such a blessing to see what God's doing. I can't wait to see what God's going to do over the next year in missions. Maybe some of you will go on a short-term mission trip. Uh, that's going to be fun to hear. Um, that said, I uh, also, for, for all of you who are members and regular tenors who give, you know that we, we have to, you know, take care of all this stuff, and, and we do our mission stuff, and, and we do our local missions, all that. I just want to say thanks for the way that you give. You can continue to give in one of the four ways, uh, you know, through the app, through the black box, through the web, or through texting. Just thank you for the way that you give. You can continue to do that uh, for all of our people who are like, this is your place. Thank you for the way you give. Um, that's it. I, I was thinking about something this week. I saw a meme on one of the social media sites. I was just scrolling or whatever, and I saw a meme. It was Kermit the Frog, and he said, I'm so thankful that I learned to play the recorder in sixth grade because it's come up so many times in my life where I've just busted out a little three blind mice, and it's really lowered the tensions of the conflict in my life. I, uh, I read that, and I thought, isn't that true? Like, there are things in your life that you do that you know later they just never come up. They're not even important. It's almost like it was meaningless. But in the moment, you get kind of caught up in it, right? So I was, as I listened, or as I was reading that little, that little meme, I started thinking about another kind of phase of my life. Uh, when I was in high school, I joined the wrestling team. And the reason I joined the wrestling team is because the basketball coach didn't want me. He said, Ed, if you were taller and you could shoot and you had any talent at all, I would have taken you. So I joined the wrestling team, and I, honestly, I love wrestling. I love the sport of wrestling, um, but I was thinking about, you know, when I, when I was 17, my 17-year-old 17 self, all I wanted to do was be a state champion. 
Now, I was a pretty average wrestler. I certainly wasn't at that level, but that's what I wanted. I would see these guys. You would go to tournaments where all these teams from all over the city and in the state and the region were all these, you know, these big tournaments, and, and the state champion would walk in, and you'd be like, oh, my gosh, there he is. Look at that, Look at that guy. Like, he's undefeated. And, and here's the thing. I was on the mat with a couple of state champions, and the, the incredible difference of the technique, the, the physical ability, and the endurance is just a different level. It's like, how do you get that good at something? But I wanted to be that. I just, I thought if I could just be state champion, I mean, that's when my life would mean something. I would make my mark. I wanted to be state champion. So here's the interesting part. Fast forward, like 20 years later, I'm a young pastor and I'm, I'm meeting with this guy. He said, hey, can I meet with you, Ed? I'm like, sure, let's, let's go hang out. So uh, we sat down and he says, here's the thing. He's a former state champion wrestler. So I'm like, hey, tell me about your wrestling career. And so he's telling me all about it. And I'm like, did you wrestle this guy or this guy? And, and we're talking about all this. And I'm like, I'm fascinated. How did you get that good? And he talked about, he, he lived in a home. His dad was a pastor and he was super disciplined and he was super competitive. So he was athletic, disciplined, competitive. And he put all of that in the mix and he learned how to make his body do what it needed to do to become that good, that full of technique to become state champion. I was fascinated. I couldn't wait to talk to him. He goes, but that's not why I want to talk to you, Ed. I'm, I was like, well, what, what do you want to talk about? I'm like, I'm fascinated. He, he said, I, I have no freedom in my relationship with Christ. Now, he understood the cross. Like, you could get there, and I think most people in the room can get to that point where you realize that you sin against God. Now, now here's the deal. Some people are like, they're super proud. They're like, whatever, God, you can't tell me what to do. But most people deep down, we know. We know that we've offended God. And so when you get to that point, then you realize, okay, then what do you do about it? You can't just point at someone else and say, well, I'm better than that guy. You realize that you're part of the problem, and that's when you realize the love of God, that he sent his own son to die on a cross, to pay the penalty for sin, that anyone who comes to him in faith, his blood of what he shed on the cross would wash away their sins, that you could walk freely in relationship with God. Like, this guy had already come to that point in his life, but he had no freedom. He was looking at me and saying, how do I become free like you, Ed? How do I have this relationship with God that seems to be so vibrant and full of life and helps you when life gets tough? And I started asking him questions, and here's what I realized. He was applying the same things he had learned to become state champion to God. Like, well, there must be an equation. If I'm gonna be close to God, then I need to do this and this and this. If I just work out harder, if I become more disciplined. Like, in his mind, it was just some kind of obligatory equation to figure out how to get close to God. Isn't it interesting? My 17-year-old self wanted to be him, and his young man self wanted to be me. Isn't that weird? Do you ever find yourself in life that you just get caught up in something thinking, this is gonna be the thing that makes me satisfied? And later in life, you're like, huh. You ever had that happen? We're starting a new series today. We're calling it Under the Sun. We're looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. What we're saying, the big idea in this book is this, is that God offers a full life in an empty world. It was written by King Solomon, and I'm going to talk a lot about Solomon today and in the next several weeks. Like Solomon was this guy who had incredible wisdom, and he had uh, this idea that he was going to go out and search and try to find meaning apart from God. He had understood God early, and he made some kind of big mistakes in his life, and he decided he was going to figure out if he could find meaning in the world. And he wrote this book really about his endeavor to try to figure out if he could find meaning. I think it's interesting because he obviously was in a different position in life, but we all deep down want to find meaning. I've never met a person who didn't, who didn't want to have a purpose in their life. 
Like we all wanna live for something bigger than just us in some way. And I think when it comes to matters of faith, a lot of us ask the question, in fact, maybe that's what drove you to relationship with God in the first place. You're trying to figure, well, God, why are we all here? Why are the circumstances in my life what they are? What are you trying to do in and through my life? What is the meaning of all of this? Well, that's what we're gonna look at today. So no matter where you're at in your journey of faith, whether you're a skeptic or whether you're, you're like me, like you're all in, wherever you're at, deep down, we're all asking the same question. Why is this happening in my life? What is the purpose of this? And what do you want me to do, God? That's what we're gonna look at today and in this series. But before we dig into Ecclesiastes 1, I'm gonna ask you to take a second and just invite God to speak to your heart today. So I'll pray for all of us. You pray for you, all right? Father, I know, I know that you know exactly where we're at because you are personally invested in all of us in this room. You know where we're at with our doubts, with our calluses on our heart, and with our openness to you. God, use your word and by your spirit speak to us today. Lord, help us to connect to you. Help us to understand purpose and meaning from your perspective. We ask that in your son's name, amen, amen. Well, if you have a Bible or a, you know, an apparatus, or whatever, just scroll to Ecclesiastes 1. I'm gonna share a couple things. The first one is this, is that we need to appreciate Solomon's perspective. Now, let me give you the background of Solomon's life. Remember David, the king, he was the king after God's own heart that God put on the throne in Israel. And under his reign, he allowed the Israel to come together as a nation. They came together to honor God. It was a really incredible moment in the history of Israel. And under David, they really kicked out all the enemies. They had, they had some people they warred against, but David was victorious. And he also had accumulated some wealth and some materials. And he wanted to build a temple, but God told him, no, not you, David, but your son, and so he had many sons, but the son that became the king is Solomon. And if you're a Bible nerd, you know that Solomon's mom was Bathsheba, the one that there was a scandal affair over and caused a lot of problems in David's life. But they were together, and that was the son that God chose that was going to become king. And he would be the one that would build the temple one day. And under Solomon's reign, there was never a more prominent, more prestigious kingdom in all of Israel's history. What he was able to accomplish in terms of his wealth and in terms of his power literally made like the most amazing kingdom that Israel's ever had in their history under Solomon's lead. This guy was very wise. God came to him in a vision early on as a king and said, ask me for whatever you want. And Solomon, he didn't ask for riches or fame. He asked for wisdom on how to govern the people of God. And so God gave that to him, said, look, because you didn't ask for all these things, you asked for wisdom, I'm gonna give you that, but I'm also gonna give you the other things too. And so Solomon was this incredibly wise king. He wrote Proverbs. So if you read Proverbs, there's 31 of them. You could read one every day of the month and you'll learn incredible wisdom from an ancient book, this King Solomon. God wrote through him. It's amazing. But here's the thing. He decided to figure out, he made some wrong turns in his history of his kingdom where he kind of decided, I'm gonna find out if there's meaning in life apart from God. Apart from eternal perspective, he's gonna look to see, well, okay, I know what it's like to follow God. What would it be like to not follow God? Will I find wisdom and meaning out there? And he came up with a conclusion early. Here's what he says in chapter one, verse one. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So here he is, he's, he's the teacher. 
Now, in Solomon's lifetime, he was so wise, people would come just to hear him teach, come to hear him tell the things that he had learned in life. And he's saying, that's me, and I'm telling you, vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. The, the word there most commonly translated is meaningless. So maybe you heard it in a different Bible version. Meaningless, meaningless, it's all meaningless. The, the actual word means like, think like vapor. You know, you can see a mist, you can see it, and you go up to grab it, and it's gone. That's what he's saying. Life is like that. Isn't that interesting? And he's saying that all of it under the sun, everything that man does under the sun, what is the term under the sun in which we took you know, the title of this series? Well, under the sun comes up like 30-some times in this book. And under the sun, the best working definition I can give you is this. It's human reasoning apart from the eternal perspective without God's insight and revelation. So if God's out of the picture completely, what's the best that the world has to offer. That's what Solomon is saying. And he's saying, look, I did it. I went out and looked. I searched everywhere there is to, to look. And here's what I'm telling you, it didn't work. Now, you need to understand Solomon's perspective for a second. Because here's the deal. All of us want, want to be satisfied in life. And we want experiences in life that we feel will give us a rich and full life. All of us across the board, across every generation, across every you know, culture, we all want to feel satisfaction. We have a different definition of what that might mean. Some people find that through work or through family or parenting or uh, through achievements or money or pleasure. We all have a thing. And Solomon's saying, I looked in ways that you can't even look because I had the means to do what you cannot do. And I'm telling you, it doesn't work. That's what he's saying. Now, Here's the deal. I, I've, maybe you've heard this. I've heard that people who win the lottery sometimes are more miserable than they ever were before they won the lottery. You ever heard that? I've heard that several times. But every one of us would say, I'll take the bet. <laughs> Solomon, sure, you, you, know, you had it all, but I can take the bet. Let me, let me give you an example of what Solomon had. This guy was so wealthy that silver during the time of Solomon's reign was actually worthless because there was so much silver. Someone took it upon themselves to try to figure out in today's value what his wealth would be like in today's money. Now, understand, I think it's the richest guy in the world. I might be wrong about this, but I think it's Jeff Bezos. He's got like $200 billion. Like money that doesn't even mean anything, right? You can't fathom how much that is, $200 billion. Solomon's wealth, $2.3 trillion. There's no way to spend that all. Anything that he wanted, he could buy. That's how much wealth this guy had. And okay, so maybe some of you are thinking, you know, I want relationships. I want to find the person that means something to me. I want all kinds of experiences, you know, sex and all that. You know, you want all that. This guy had 700 wives, which I don't even know how you do that. I got to be honest with you. 300 concubines, 1,000 women in his life. And look, these aren't just any women. He married the daughters of the kings of all the countries around him because he wanted to ensure that they would have treaties, that they would protect each other. So he married the, all the princesses. Look, this guy, if, if that's what it is, like he did it all. Money, wealth, relationships, maybe it's parenting. I, I've heard so many people like, you know, the kids, that's gonna be my legacy is how I treat my kids. He had 72 kids. That's a lot of mouths to feed just noting that. I guess he had the money, so fine. Power? He was in charge of one of the most incredible armies, had more horses and chariots than you could count. Prestige? The guy built 
the temple, one of the ancient wonders of the world. It says he actually took more time to build his own palace than he did the temple, which should tell you there's a problem. But the temple was something that everyone from everywhere around wanted to see it. He built cities, structures, anything he could fathom in his mind through engineering and architecture, he could fathom, and he made it. He made it with gold. I mean, this guy was incredible. He had it all, and he's saying, didn't work. So what is it that we think? That we're gonna outdo him? Like, we don't have the means that he did. And he's saying, look, I had the means, and it doesn't work. Let me give you a modern example. And um, this one, this was from like 10 or 15 years ago. This, this uh, quarterback named Tom Brady, you guys heard of him? Well, at the time of this interview, Tom Brady was only a three-time Super Bowl champion, which if he had retired on that day, he would have went to the Hall of Fame. He's since won like four more titles. The guy's evidently good at this. So Tom Brady, in the middle of this interview, the, the guy asked him a question, say, hey, how's this changed your life? He goes, well, you know, I have, and he's talking about all this stuff and you know, his life. And he goes, you know, what, what's the drawback? He goes, well, you can't go to the grocery store anymore. And so it was kind of a chuckle moment. And, he, and the interview goes, is it worth it? And he says, well, this is what he says, this quote. Well, there's gotta be something more than this. Isn't that interesting? The guy who every little boy grows up thinking, I'm gonna be the Super Bowl champion or the NBA champion or whatever. I mean, we all think someday I'm gonna be, like he actually is that guy three times over and he's saying, there's gotta be something more than this. So the interview asked him, well, what's the answer then? He goes, God, I, I don't know. Isn't that interesting? The people who have the means to pull off the things that in our, are in our hearts, but we can't achieve, they actually achieve it or saying, it's not enough. You have to appreciate the perspective. And here's the thing, the second thing is this, is that we strive to make a mark that's gonna soon disappear. Here's what he says. Uh, he goes on in chapter one. He starts talking about generation gives way to generation, which gives way to generation. And the generations come and they go. And the, the world keeps spinning, basically. He says, you know, all the streams run into the seas and yet somehow the, the streams, they don't, they don't overflow and the winds push this along. He's, he's talking about the hydrological cycle of nature, which is interesting that he even knew that. He talks about life and it just keeps going on and on and on. The mundaneness of life keeps going. And here's what he says in verse nine. What has been is what will be and what has been done is what will be done and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. Solomon is very philosophical here, but if you just take a little time to think about what he's saying, here's what he's saying. It's not that there's not something new. Like for example, we've in our lifetime seen, well, most of us in our lifetime have seen you know, the iPhone, right? That that's a new thing. He's not saying that. He's saying that everybody endeavors to make a mark in the world and everyone has their thing they're gonna try to make a mark on, whether it's you know, inventing something or creating something or maybe it's a family or whatever it is and they come and go and nobody remembers them. That's what he's saying. That no matter what it is that you go after, eventually it's gone. <laughs> I looked up just the definition of making a mark and it says, to have an important effect on something. And I was trying to think, well, like, what are the ways that have been in my life or people who I meet that, that think, okay, I'm gonna make a mark here. You know, when you're young, 
idealistically, you look at the world and you say, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna build my kingdom. What, and we don't use those words, but we're like, I wanna, I wanna do this, I wanna achieve this, I wanna, I wanna create this, I'm gonna do this with my life. And you kind of, you go into that and then you get into like your 30s and 40s, you start having a family and you're like, how do I maintain all this? How do I you know, keep it sustainable and, and you know, maybe make it more efficient and better? And you know, then you get later and you start thinking about legacy. Well, what, what mark will I leave? And, and all of this, what's your thing? Is it, you know, is it money? If you wanna be the person on the street with the nicest stuff and go on the nicest vacations and, or you wanna be the person who made the best you know, at, at your job or everyone looks at you like you're the best at your job or, or maybe it's parenting. I, I was at the grocery store one day and this lady, I said, how are you doing? And she goes, well, you know, you parent for all these years, they go off and they leave your house and then, then what do you do? They're all gone. And I looked at her and I'm like, I don't even know you lady, <laughs> but thanks for sharing that. But it's true, we, if we're gonna put our life into our kids, and that's what we do sometimes. We're like, you know, I'm gonna give my kid more opportunities than I ever had. But what we do is we kind of put our own identity into what our kids achieve, like, like it's about us. Sometimes we can do that with anything. Like, what is our identity gonna be? Well, it's gonna be this or that or the other, and this is gonna be our mark. And here's what Solomon is saying, and then you're gone. Now, let me prove this to you. I was thinking about this. Like, I know my parents, and most of you know your parents. Some of you, have, you know, if you didn't grow up with parents, but we all know our parents. We know what they're about. Our grandparents, it gets a little hazy, right? Like, you might know your grandparents and what they did, but what about your great-grandparents? How many of you know your great-grandparents and what they were about in life? I, listen, my great-grandparents on my dad's side, I have no idea who they were. I have no idea what their names are. On my mom's side, I actually met them. Uh, my grandpa, my great-grandpa died when I was like five or six, but my great-grandmother lived till I was 14. I was old enough to ask her questions because she was born in the 1800s, and I love listening to her about what life was like way back. I mean, it was fun. You get to their parents, I have no clue. And I think, I bet you in their life, their life was super important to them. I have no idea who they are. That's what Solomon is saying. It's meaningless. It's like a vapor. You think you're going to make a mark, and it's gone. Isn't everyone super happy? <laughs> Have a great week. I'm just kidding. Um, so here's what he did. The next part of the book, from here until chapter 12, it outlines all the things that he, he aimed for. I could try this, and he tries it. I could try this, and he tries it. And he just goes on and on trying these different things, trying to find the thing that's going to fulfill his heart. And the first one is education, and here's what he says, or here's what I would say, is being the smartest person in the room didn't actually work for Solomon. In verse 12, he says this, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom and surpassing all who are over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has been, has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much, much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Isn't that interesting? Like, I, you know, have you ever been in a room with someone like, man, if I was as smart as that person? And we all have a person in our life that we go to, whether it's a financial person or a relationship person or a spiritual person. Like, we find people that are like, we believe are smarter than us, and we think, if I had their wisdom, we go to them. And here's what Solomon's saying. Not that education is bad, but even if you attain it, it actually can cause to be a burden in your life. 
He's vexed, he says. Why? Because as much as he learned and understood, he started to see all the realities of the world, and it was empty for him. Let me give you an example of what this means. Isn't it true that when you had innocence in your life, it felt more free? And the, the older you got, the more wise you got to the world, it started to weigh on you that, that there are people out there that aren't good. There are people out there that will take advantage of you, that will hurt you. There are things that happen in the world that are just broken. It seemed to be so random. Tsunamis happen. Cancer happens. Isn't it difficult? Like the most freeing times you had were before you even understood any of that. What Solomon is saying is that as I gain knowledge, I realize it's difficult. And he's gonna outline some of these things in the book, but he's saying it's difficult. Let, let, me, let me give you an example from my life. I, uh, I remember when I was a kid, and you have to be of a certain age to understand this, but uh, my mom used to buy Jackson 5 albums. Remember that? And I loved the Jackson 5. I loved the songs. I would spin those records, and we, I mean, it was awesome. Then I got to be a teenager, and Michael Jackson became uh, a solo artist. He put out his own album, and man, he was good. Like, it, he was clearly the star of all the Jackson family. He was awesome. When I was like 12, he put out an album that changed the world. And here's the thing, the Thriller album that came out, like it, 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 he made him an international sensation. But for me and my friends, here's what happened. You see, back then, you could only watch like three channels on TV. And on one of the channels at night, they played the 25th anniversary of Motown. And he got out there and sang Billie Jean, his number one hit, and he did the moonwalk. And let me tell you something. Every 12-year-old boy in my school was trying to do the moonwalk the next day. And we looked ridiculous. And let me tell you something, this guy, bigger than the Beatles and Elvis, this guy became an, a sensation. And then time went on and it got super weird, like creepy weird. Like I wish I didn't know anything about Michael Jackson now. Like I just like the music, could I just undo my brain? Life is like that. There are just times when you realize the more wise you become, the more difficult it can be. That's what Solomon is saying. So then what's the answer? What's the answer? He's, let me help you. Like, where do you find meaning in life? Because I don't want you to wait till chapter 12 to get the conclusion. But he gave his conclusion in a pretty abrupt statement. Here's what he says, chapter 12, verse 13. Fear God and keep his commandments. Learn to know God and to follow his ways. That is the meaning of life. That's what he's saying. After everything that he discovered, he comes back to that. So I have to ask the question, are you spending your life for empty things? Look, we all dive into things trying to find meaning in our life, thinking this is gonna do it. Is it empty? I think if you're, if you're honest, we all do it in some way, but here's what I would say about the cross and why it changes everything. Because first and foremost, we all wanna feel like we have an identity in this world, something that makes us us. And then we try to find that thing that we think is gonna make us us. Let me tell you what, what the cross means. All of us, if we're honest, we look at God and we know that we've made mistakes. We know that we have cravings that kind of mess up our life. We can all get there at some point and recognize that. And yet God in his love doesn't look down at us and go, Bruh. he looks down and says, you know what? I love you anyway. I'll find a way to make this right. And he sends his son down to die on a cross in spite of the fact that we're the problem. He dies for us to solve the problem, to wash away our sins with the blood of Christ himself. 
He lives the perfect sinless life so that when he raises from the grave, we have someone we can go to that identifies with the temptations, but he never made the mistakes. Which means that even though we're incredibly flawed, we're overwhelmingly loved by God. That alone makes you extremely important in eternity. Sure, when you understand the gospel and submit your life to Christ, that changes your eternal destiny. But let's think about what it means here. Because if you're not there on that point, you're still living for something that's gonna pass away. But if you've come to that point where you understand the cross, that changes eternity. And here's the deal. God goes further and he has this plan to reach the nations, to reach everybody, to reach your neighbors and family members with the beautiful message of the gospel that they can be set free by the blood of Christ. And do you know how he does it? He invites us into his plan that we draw life from God in the gospel and then we point others to him. We become ambassadors on behalf of the beauty of what he did on the cross. And eternal things matter. He uses us to talk to people, to share with people, to point others to Jesus. Your life can count eternally by the way you live out the calling of following Jesus in your lifetime, in your lifetime. And let me say this, because Paul wrote, the apostle Paul wrote, Something very interesting. So, okay, God, is there meaning? I understand you wanna use my life, but what about the struggles? What about the hard things? I mean, I can understand the elations of life. Like, that's really great that God blesses us with things that are overwhelmingly good. But there are times, like Caleb talked about earlier, that are just hard. And yet the apostle Paul said, for anyone who comes to faith in Christ, who've called into that, he uses even those things, the hard things and the good things together for eternal purposes that we don't even understand. Sometimes it's to help others, but sometimes it's beyond this world. Let me explain. Ephesians chapter three, you know what Paul wrote? He said, the manifold wisdom of God. That means all that God thinks about that that we don't understand. He's trying to display that to the angels and the demons, principalities and powers beyond this world that we don't see. God is trying to show his wisdom to those people. Do you know how? Through the church. The church isn't life point. The church is the believer's who follow Christ are the church. So your life then matters eternally for perspective in heaven that the angels and demons don't even understand. And God is saying, look what my children do. Look how they live by faith. Your life matters eternally. You just didn't even realize it. He is calling you into purpose that really matters. I I would say that to you for for many reasons. Because if you're, there's this pastor that wrote a whole book called Don't Waste Your Life. And I think he's he's an an older pastor at the time he wrote it. And and I think what he was saying is, look, don't spend your life on things that aren't gonna matter. Spend your life on things that are gonna matter eternally. That's what he was saying. And I think Solomon is saying the same thing. That's the lesson of the book and the lesson of this first chapter is that God is saying, look, don't spend your life on things that won't matter. So if you came in today and like, you know what? I've been caught up in this thing. I've been caught up in this endeavor. I've been caught up in my parents. I've been caught up. Like those things, it's not that those things are, you know, minimized, but those can't be the ultimate things in your life. There's something bigger happening. And if you found your life trying to find meaning and you just feel like it's like you're grasping, it doesn't, listen, let God call you into something bigger than that. Let God call you into something eternal that matters eternally. And if you came in today and you would say, you know, I'm, I just, I've never made it right with God. It's time to get right. Just 
submit your life to Christ. All right, God, I'm gonna accept your, your cross for my life. You paid the penalty for my sin. I'm gonna accept that and allow you to lead my life. Walk in to something more eternal rather than grasping at things you think are gonna make you happy here. We all have that feel in our soul to need meaning. He's inviting us into that through his cross. So let's take a second. Let's stand and pray together. Just as we, as we start to pray here and, and, and talk to God, I, I just want you to take a second and just talk to him. Wherever you're at in life, there are times that are just difficult and um, I get that. Talk to God about that. There are times of elation and times where you're just going through the motions. Talk to God. So I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and talk to God and say, God, help me to have an eternal perspective. Help me to see what you see in the world. And I submit my life to you, Jesus. Use my life for something bigger than just here. And if you came in today, maybe you've been caught up in some things. Maybe it's time to say, you know what, God? I'm submitting those to you. You're in charge of those now. And if you came in today and you say, you know what? I don't think I've ever made it right with God. Here's what you can do. You can take a step of faith because that's all that he requires is a step of faith. You can't please God without faith. You can take a step of faith and make it right with God right now. Here's how you do it. You simply say to God, say, God in heaven, I believe in you and I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I believe he rose from the grave. Just tell him that. The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can do that by saying to Jesus right now, Jesus, I'm calling on you. Will you please forgive me of my sin? I am sorry. Help me to follow you. Will you please lead me? Help me to follow you. Just tell him that. It's not the words you said, it's the intent of your heart. And you need to know that step of faith is what makes you right because he paid everything when he died and rose from the grave. What it means to become a follower of Christ is this, that when you hear Jesus, when you sense him leading you, you just cooperate with him. I wanna help you take a first step. One of the things that Jesus said to all of his followers, he said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. It's something that really matters to him. I wanna give you a chance to take that first step today. If you just prayed that prayer of faith, I'm gonna ask you to acknowledge that by between you and me and God, just by raising your hand up and say, Ed, I want you to see, I'm acknowledging, but God, I want you to see. If that's you, anywhere in this room, just raise your hand up high enough I can see. Thank you there, I see you. Anyone else? I see you there in the front, yes. Praise God. You may put your hands down. Father, I, uh, I'm super grateful for all that you do in our church and you do in our lives that you want us to live for something bigger than just ourselves. God, thank you. I ask you, Father, that for those who are taking first steps, that you would just show them who you are. Help them to sense your Holy Spirit and your guidance in their life as you give them the truth to follow you. God, for most of us in this room, the truth is we get caught up in all kinds of stuff and we make our life about things that are never gonna matter. And it seems really important in the moment, God. God, I pray you would walk with us daily. Help us to see how you see things. Lord, use our lives for something eternal and beautiful. We ask that in your son's name, amen. Just in this moment, before you sit down, I just wanna say that if you, before you leave today, if you feel like God is really putting something on your heart and you just want someone to pray with you or talk with you, we have a place called Next Steps. It's in the back corner of the room. And just slip out of your seat at some point or before you leave today, head over there and talk with someone. They will either give you a resource or pray with you. Uh, you don't have to tell them everything's going on in your heart. Just say, hey, can you help me? Maybe they have a book for you. It'll be free. 
or maybe they'll pray with you, okay? All right, let's sit down for a second. I, I wanna close the service a little bit different today. Um, um, I, am, I need to share something with you that I have long dreaded to share, um, but it's really great news in some respects, but it's super difficult for me to share with you. LifePoint Westerville, we started you know, five and a half years ago, and during that time, God has just done so much. And, and since coming out of the pandemic, our church is really the fastest growing church in Westerville. God has done so much. I've learned so much about what God is doing in and through me, and I'm learning a lot about the way God has wired me as a leader. And here's what I've learned about me, is that I'm definitely more of an apostolic leader than a managerial type leader. So apostolic leaders are different in that they see something, they wanna create, they wanna do it, they wanna jump in, they wanna start it, start a conversation, start a ministry. And God has literally had his hand on me in that way in my lifetime. But managerial leaders have to think about ways to do things and to create environments for everybody. And the truth is, I struggle in that area in some ways. And about two, three years ago, I went to our head pastor, Dean, and I just started to kind of lament and talk to him about the struggles I was sensing. And I knew as the church continued to grow, these were gonna come out more and more. And we talked and prayed together and I just shared with him those things. About seven months ago, I went to Dean and our executive pastor, Troy, and we spent days talking through all this. And, and here's, here's the thing. The way I'm wired, I want you to think of it as like, if you're, to use a baseball analogy, think like, I love to play third base, I'm not necessarily a coach and I wanna play third. The next season of LifePoint is gonna need a guy who's a specialist in being coach so he can help things go because it's just gonna continue to grow. And the truth is I wanna play third base. What does that mean? I wanna be with people. I wanna teach and, and sit across a table and, and be in circles and groups where I can do that and fundamentally more than, than kind of creating the systems and managing people who do those things. So what does that mean? After all the time of prayer, here's what that means for me, is that they uh, have helped create a position. It's, a, it's a, a campus life position at Lewis Center that's gonna be exactly what campus life is, but there'll be a little bit of a hybrid. I'm gonna move over to the Lewis Center campus and I'll be teaching at all of our campuses. I'm also gonna be doing a lot of the, uh, the things that I do all the time, you know, weddings and funerals and people in the hospital. I'll be doing the things that I do, meeting with people. But I'm also gonna get to do something where I'm gonna be able to develop bridge groups for equipping things like evangelism and apologetics, foundational training. And I'll be able to do that and create those things for all of our campuses. So I'm super excited about what God has for me in the next season. But that also means that I'm not gonna be here. And I've dreaded that because I love you guys and I love what God is doing here. So my last day here is gonna be the 25th of June, which is in two weeks. And we're gonna have like a little reception on the 25th. We'll leave the services a little bit shorter. So you're probably thinking, okay, what does that mean for LifePoint Westerville? Well, here's the thing. For the last months, months and months, we've been searching across the country. I mean, nationwide looking for people and God has brought a person into our midst that has accepted the role to be the next teaching pastor of LifePoint, Westerville. His name is Matthew Angel. Here's a picture of he uh, and his wife, Brooke, and their two little kids. He's from Tampa, and uh, I'm, I'm super excited about him coming. I've heard him teach. Uh, this guy loves the word of God, like in a way I've never seen. This guy loves the word. He's gonna be coming here. You're gonna hear a lot more about him over the next several weeks, and he'll be here sometime in mid to late July. 
We're super excited about that. That also means that, uh, that I have to say goodbye in this role. I'm still gonna be with LifePoint and, and around. You'll see me around, just not in this role. And I just wanna say between you and me, I love you guys. I love being here with you. I love the way you've treated my family and loved on my girls. So thank you guys. Um, Troy, you want to come up and pray? Would you do that? I know I don't have a mic for you, but I don't know how to close it, so you just pray for me. Maybe I can use your mic. Is that weird? (laughs) A little bit. Okay. (laughs) Hey, can we say thank you to Ed for how he serves so faithfully? team, when God first began to stir in our hearts about beginning to multiply some of our life groups that we're meeting here in Westerville out to become a campus, uh, Ed was one of the first guys that, that God brought to mind to be the apostolic leader that would begin to start and lead this work here. And so uh, many of you are here because you've had conversations across the table from Ed. Uh, many of you have been baptized in this place by Ed. And many of you have grown in your faith because of his teaching and leadership. And so we are super grateful for all that God has done through him. And we're excited about the way that God is going to use Ed to impact LifePoint as a whole um, over the next season of his ministry. And so I want to pray for him today. And if you would, uh, would you just join me in prayer? Father, thank you for Ed and Tammy for their, their years of faithful service at LifePoint and particularly here at LifePoint Westerville, God. I thank you for the anointing and the calling that you placed on his life. I thank you for the love that you've given him uh, for your word and for walking in faithfulness and holiness. Um, God, we are so grateful for the way that they have just served so selfishly um, in both the good seasons and the difficult seasons here at our Westerville campus. I pray that you would continue to place your anointing on him. God, as he steps into this next season of leadership at LifePoint, that you would use him to impact not only LifePoint Westerville, but all of our LifePoint campuses in a way that causes you to receive glory yes, in your kingdom to continue to advance all around mid-Ohio, the Midwest, and the world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, Troy. All right. God bless you guys. Have a great week.